Welcome to the Terry Podcast, Tales from Near and Far, read to you by Pratam Data. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens, read to you by Pratam Data. Chapter 6 England under Harold Harefoot, Hardy Canute, and Edward the Confessor. Part 2. Previously, Harold Harefoot, after a very short reign, died. Then came Hardy Canute. He got drunk, died too. Next successor was Edward the Confessor, who ended up marrying a very powerful lord whose name is Earl Godwin, his daughter Editha and started ruling. But he was not a very popular king, so Earl Godwin and his six sons started plotting against the king in the shadows. They were greatly helped by an event that occurred when he had reigned eight years. Eustace, Earl of Boulogne, who had married the king's sister, came to England on a visit. After staying in the court some time, he set forth with his numerous train of attendants to return home. They were to embark at Dover. Entering that peaceful town in armour, they took possession of the best houses and noisily demanded to be lodged and entertained without payment. One of the bold men of Dover, who would not endure to have these domineering strangers jingling their heavy swords and iron corslets up and down his house, eating his meat and drinking his strong liquor, stood in his doorway and refused admission to the first armed man who came there. The armed man drew and wounded him. The man of Dover struck the armed man dead. Intelligence of what he had done Spreading through the streets to where the Count Eustace and his men were standing by their horses, bridle in hand, they passionately mounted, galloped to the house, surrounded it, forced their way in, the doors and windows being closed when they came up, and killed the man of Dover at his own fireside. They then clattered through the streets, cutting down and riding over men, women and children. This did not last long, you may believe. The men of Dover set upon them with great fury, killed 19 of the foreigners, wounded many more, and blockading the road to the port so that they should not embark, beat them out of the town by the way they had come. Hereupon, Count Eustace rides as hard as man can ride to Gloucester, where Edward is, surrounded by Norman monks and Norman lords. Justice! cries the Count. Upon the men of Dover, who have set upon and slain my people. The king sends immediately for the powerful Earl Godwin, who happens to be near, reminds him that Dover is under his government, and orders him to repair to Dover and do military execution on the inhabitants. It does not become you, 
says the proud earl in reply, to condemn without a hearing those whom you have sworn to protect. I will not do it. The king, therefore, summoned the earl on pain of banishment and loss of his titles and property to appear before the court to answer this disobedience. The earl refused to appear. He, his eldest son Harold, and his second son Sven, hastily raised as many fighting men as their utmost power could collect, and demanded to have Count Eustace and his followers surrendered to the justice of the country. The king, in his turn, refused to give them up, and raised a strong force. After some treaty and delay, the troops of the great earl and his sons began to fall off. The earl, with a part of his family and abundance of treasure, sailed to Flanders. Harold escaped to Ireland, and the power of the great family was for that time gone in England. But the people did not forget them. Then, Edward the Confessor, with the true meanness of a mean spirit, visited his dislike of the once powerful father and sons upon the helpless daughter and sister, his unoffending wife, whom all who saw her, her husband and his monks accepted, loved. He seized her patiently upon her fortune and her jewels, and allowing her only one attendant, confined her in a gloomy convent, of which a sister of his, no doubt an unpleasant lady after his own heart, was a bess or jailer. Having got Earl Godwin and his six sons well out of his way, the king favoured the Normans more than ever. He invited over William, Duke of Normandy, the son of that Teague who had received him and his murdered brother long ago, and of a peasant girl, a tanner's daughter, with whom the Duke had fallen in love for her beauty as he saw her washing clothes in a brook. William, who was a great warrior, with a passion for fine horses, dogs and arms, accepted the invitation and the Normans arrived in England, finding themselves more numerous than ever when he arrived with his retinue and held in still greater honour at court than before, became more and more haughty towards the people and were more and more disliked by them. The old Earl Godwin, though he was a prod, knew well how the people felt for with part of the treasure he had carried away with him, he kept spies and agents in his pay all over England. Accordingly, he thought the time was come for fitting out a great expedition against the Norman-loving king. With it, he sailed to the Isle of Wight, where he was joined by his son Harold, the most gallant and brave of all his family. And so the father and son came sailing up the Thames to Southwark, 
great numbers of the people declaring for them and shouting for the English Earl and the English Harold against the Norman favourites. The king was at first as blind and stubborn as kings usually have been whensoever they have been in the hands of monks. But the people rallied so thickly around the old Earl and his son and the old Earl was so steady and demanding without bloodshed the restoration of himself and his family to their rights and at last the court took the alarm. The Norman Archbishop of Canterbury and the Norman Bishop of London, surrounded by their retainers, fought their way out of London and escaped from Essex to France in a fishing boat. The other Norman favourites dispersed in all directions. The old Earl and his sons, except Sven, who had committed crimes against the law, were restored to their possessions and dignities. Editha, the virtuous and lovely queen of the insensible king, was triumphantly released from her prison, the convent, and once more sat in her chair of state, arrayed in the jewels of which, when she had no champion to support her rights, her cold-blooded husband had deprived her. The old Earl Godwin did not long enjoy his restored fortune. He fell down in a fit at the king's table and died upon the third day afterwards. Harold succeeded to his power and to a far higher place in the attachment of the people than his father had ever held. By his valour, he subdued the king's enemies in many bloody fights. He was vigorous against rebels in Scotland. This was the time when Macbeth slew Duncan, upon which event our English Shakespeare, hundreds of years afterwards, wrote his great tragedy. And he killed the restless Welsh King Griffith and brought his head to England. What Harold was doing at sea, when he was driven on the French coast by a tempest, is not at all certain nor does it at all matter that his ship was forced by a storm on that shore and that he was taken prisoner there is no doubt in those barbarous days all shipwrecked strangers were taken prisoners and obliged to pay ransom so a certain count guy who was the lord of Pontieu, where harold's disaster happened seized him instead of relieving him like a hospitable and Christian lord, as he ought to have done, and expected to make a very good thing of it. But Harold sent off immediately to Duke William of Normandy, complaining of this treatment, and the Duke no sooner heard of it than he ordered Harold to be escorted to the ancient town of Rouen, where he then was, and where he received him as an honoured guest. Now some writers tell us that Edward the Confessor, who was by this time old and had no children, had made a will, appointing Duke William of Normandy his successor, and had informed the Duke of his having done so. There is no doubt 
that he was anxious about his successor, because he had even invited over from abroad Edward the outlaw, a son of Ironside, who had come to England with his wife and three children, but whom the king had strangely refused to see when he did come, and who had died in London suddenly. Princes were terribly liable to sudden death in those days, and had been buried in St Paul's Cathedral. The king might possibly have made such a will, or, having always been fond of the Normans, he might have encouraged Norman William to aspire to the English crown by something that he said to him when he was staying at the English court. But certainly William did now aspire to it, and knowing that Harold would be a powerful rival, he called together a great assembly of his nobles, offered Harold his daughter Adele in marriage, informed him that he meant on King Edward's death to claim the English crown as his own inheritance, and required Harold then and there to swear to aid him. Harold, being in the Duke's power, took this oath upon the missal or prayer book. It is a good example of the superstitions of the monks that this missal instead of being placed upon a table, was placed upon a tub, which, when Harold had sworn, was uncovered and shown to be full of dead men's bones, bones, as the monks pretended, of saints. This was supposed to make Harold's oath a great deal more impressive and binding as if the great name of the creator of heaven and earth could be made more solemn by a knuckle bone or a double tooth or a fingernail of Dunstan. Within a week or two after Harold's return to England, the dreary old confessor was found to be dying. After wandering in his mind like a very weak old man, he died as he had put himself entirely in the hands of the monks when he was alive, they praised him lustily when he was dead. They had gone so far already as to persuade him that he could work miracles and had brought people afflicted with a bad disorder of the skin to him to be touched and cured. This was called touching for the king's evil, which afterwards became a royal custom. You know, however, who really touched the sick and healed them. And you know his sacred name is not among the dusty line of the human kings. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.